Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello, and welcome to another episode of My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and this is the podcast, if you've not heard it before, where I ask my guests the straightforward question, what five things from your life would you like to preserve in a time capsule? They can choose anything, but they have to pick five things they cherish, and one thing that they rather regret, and would like to bury in the ground and never have to think about again. So, the question is straightforward, but the answers never really are. My guest in this episode is the very talented comedian, actor and singer, Jade Adams. Jade started doing stand-up ten years ago, and since then, she's won the Funny Woman Award at the Leicester Square Theatre, the London Cabaret Award, and she's been nominated for the Best Newcomer at Edinburgh. She's been on 8 Out of 10 Cats, and 8 Out of 10 Cats does Countdown. She's played opposite Miranda Richardson in Neil Gaiman's Good Omens, and her stand-up show, Serious Black Jumper, which she performed to great acclaim at the Edinburgh Festival and at the Bloomsbury Theatre in London, has become a hit show on Amazon Prime. She hosts Snackmasters on Channel 4 with first dates Fred Siriex and the food show Crazy Delicious with Heston Blumenthal. And now, here she is talking about the things she cherishes and one thing she's glad to see the back of. I give you the gorgeous Jade Adams. Do you know what? I will say something to you. Um, this is about when I first met you. So you and I met on Rufus Hound's seven-hour um, Trivial Pursuit game that he did for Mark <laughs> Watson's Comedy-a-thon. Yes. And we met during that. And I'll tell you something. Before I had that meeting with you and we had a lovely time playing Trivial Pursuit and getting to know each other, Yeah. I, if you'd have asked me, do you want children? I'd have said, no. No, thank you. It's not really my thing. And then... <laughs> It was your wife's birthday and everyone was over your house. You had the whole family over and it was so full of love and it really, really touched my heart. And I, and it's really made me question whether or not I'm really, so now actually you're, 
you're responsible for um, if I have children, Mike. So um, <laughs> don't blame me if my first child is called Mike. Well, I'll have to be a good parent. That's it. Of course. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. All right. Yeah. Uh, but we're supposed to be talking about things that you're going to put into a time capsule. Yes. Things that you really love and cherish in your life. Or in fact, one thing that you just go, oh, I wish that hadn't happened. And you want to reject it. So the other option is to, I can put something in that I never want to see again. Yeah, maybe something you think is unjust. Do you know what? I've got this thing that I do with traumatic uh, situations. I've got a best mate who's got an incredible memory. Mm. And every now and again, she'll remind me of things that have happened. And I don't remember it. Uh, I, Uh. I sort of then vaguely remember it after she said it. So I think I naturally have my own time capsule in my head for traumatic experiences and I just put stuff away and it doesn't come back out until someone reminds me. Mm. I don't even know if I'd be able to pinpoint because the things that have happened to me that would have been a traumatic experience have actually made a lot of positive things happen in my life. I try and draw a positive experience out of a negative one as Mm. much as I can really. Um, and things happen for a reason. I really believe that. Mum always says it when, you know, when things are bad and I phone her up and I'm crying and I'm flailing around and she tells me everything mm. happens for a reason and she she's right. She is. So actually, I don't really have things that I want to put in in that way, but I have things that I would like to put in because I was thinking it's a time capsule. Yeah. What do I want the future to remember? Okay. Um and something I want the future to remember is that something called freestyle disco dancing existed. So I'm going to put one of my childhood freestyle disco dancing costumes into the time capsule. And I'm going to do it because the, the people in the future aren't going to be, well, they're not going to know what period of time this is from as well, because they're very vintage looking. So I should probably tell you what freestyle disco dancing is. Yes, please. Because I think already I'm keen on the idea. If it's got glittery costumes and you jump around in any way you like, I'm I'm on board. You jump around, there's glittery costumes, competitive parents. You're in a town (laughs) centre in the middle of nowhere. My family and I did it for 15 years. I danced with my sister for 11 years. It was like a massive thing in our life. We And it's the reason why I'm creative, because I did this little creative thing when I was a kid. My auntie owned the dance school and it was sort of encouraged that all the girls went and it would have sort of offended my auntie had I have quit. Mm. So actually, because of that, it meant that I did something for 13 years as a child. And then when I got old enough, I was allowed to quit. Mm. Um, but it gave me a sort of real... It's given me quite a lot that I can dance, even though I'm quite a big lass. I've got a a keen sense of rhythm. I really appreciate creativity. I've really used it as well with with my work and my job. So I think that, yes, my freestyle disco dancing costume will be the first thing that I put into the time capsule. So when did you first start it? I think I was about five. Mm Mm-hmm. And my sister started a little bit earlier. So my sister was two years older than me. She and I did it. I think she did it from the age of five and I started when I was five because I was three when she started. Mm. And um, we used to travel 20 minutes up the road to a place called Henbury. And it's a sort of small town in Bristol. Not a lot of people know about Henbury. There was a little church and we'd go in and the floor was parquet flooring and it had, there were splinters in the floor (laughs) and we used to have to dance barefoot. Like (laughs) it wasn't like how I see ballet classes are now with these pristine rooms and these mm. mirrors and these polished floors it wasn't like that we had this old church 
AA meetings used to happen in there. <laughs> oh, no, please don't do that. Oh, no. Give me a sec, right? It's all right. It might not be. Uh, my neighbours have just moved in downstairs and um, they're doing the renovations. Great. Um, great. Yeah. yeah. It sounds fun, though, this stumpy old hall and uh, splintery floor and everything. But going into those places, I love the smell of those places. I love the fact that there have been so many parties there in that little hall. Yes. AA meetings and things. Now, my granddaughter, at the start of Strictly Come Dancing and during everybody else's dance in Strictly Come Dancing, she does freestyle dancing herself around the living room all the way through every song. So this sounds like something that she would just love. How old is she? She's six. She's six years old. I mean, <laughs> there are some documentaries online about it because it can be quite intense. It's very, very competitive. Right. So it's not something that a lot of kids do. I mean, actually, this isn't probably true, but I imagine there's lots of kids that do it and it's just sort of a hobby that they do once a week. Mm-hmm. But the world in which you are thrust into is very competitive. And if you've got any competitive edge to your personality you'll get really fully immersed and then you'll be spending thousands of pounds on costumes you're traveling up and down the country and all to win a little plastic trophy on top of a little marble um marble block yeah there's nothing in them but there was a real sense of um achievement for us really i did it for 13 years mike and i was rubbish like i never won my sister used to win all the time but i never ever ever won and she, I held her back because she was my pair's partner, but I held her back quite a bit as well because I wasn't very good. But, the, you know, like mum did what was right rather than what, you know, there were lots of competitive mums that used yeah. to push their children into very uncomfortable situations. They would have dumped you straight away. I'm going for the one with the talent. Yeah, there were some quite intense mums mm-hmm. that did it. It's a very working class thing and it's not a very well documented form of creativity at all if you're in it you know about it but if you don't know about it you're like what is this like like if you see videos of it the music is techno music the kids dance for one and a half minutes they're jumping all over the place it's athletics mixed with a bit of dance Mm. it's basically quite culturally bereft i'll be perfectly honest but (laughs) the what there's something that i think was very important about it is that the type of training that it puts the kids through and especially it was a lot of girls. There were very few boys in, in disco dancing. But what it did to those girls and it did to me, it was trained us like soldiers. Like, mm. And I have never met an ex-disco dancer who isn't tough as nails. <laughs> and I, that's what I really loved about it is I think it actually made me a feminist. <laughs> it's fine. I think it actually made me the strong, independent woman I am today, Mike. That's brilliant. So the extraordinary thing is there are those things that are quite clearly, as you say, uh, class-led, aren't they? I mean, it's you get working-class things like that. For example, ballet is not a working-class thing. No, but they, they do do it. Um, we had a place called All That Jazz in Bedminster in Bristol, and they used to do tap, ballet and modern. And we went along for a little bit, but it wasn't really our thing. But there, it does happen in working-class situations. But the prima ballerinas are normally... Normally, yeah, you know, the people that go on to like the Russian schools and things, they're, you know, their parents are probably more middle class. Yes. Mm, yeah. Except for obviously Billy Elliot. Obviously, 
obviously, bless him. <laughs> I'm thinking, though, that at almost every fete you go to, there's always a group of girls who do majorette dancing. and uh, But that's a very working class thing as well, isn't it? I did a bit of majorette, so yeah, yeah. probably. <laughs> I didn't do it for very long. I did it for a really short period of time. Enough to be able to do a couple of moves, but I... Yeah, no, that's a that, and I think cheerleading is now as well. Yeah. Like cheerleading is a mm-hmm. huge thing in this country as well. That combination, though, of as you say, athletic things and dance, so that you actually do things, and then you do spins and jumps and and tumbles, and what have you. I mean, I absolutely am not saying this is a criticism of these things. I think that it's fantastic that there's a working class culture that is working away underneath all these other things that doesn't get, as you say, much publicity. Nobody knows about it, but it's enormous and provides an enormous amount of fun for people. There is a huge uh, class issue in this country and I feel like it's always the last thing that ever gets discussed. Mm -hmm. And I think when I talk of class, I'm not talking about class that affects just white people. Class affects all different races and genders and everyone mm-hmm. there's a huge divide between the really 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 rich and then the really 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 poor yeah but also in this country because we have a royal family there's this sort of family that's put in front of us as a some sort of like something we should try and achieve but we're never going to because we're not related to them mm. you know there's that, that there's this sort of feeling that there's this like unattainable sort of level of um I'm trying to think of a posh word, ironically enough, posh, poshness <laughs> yes. that we're we're meant to. And, you you know, lots of working class people, my parents included, are massive royalists. Dad's got books and books on. Uh, he knows everything there is to know about the monarchy and over hundreds and hundreds of years. Um, my mum's massively loves the Queen, mm. massively into the uh, royal family. But there's something about the royal family. I don't know. It's sort of like this unattainable sort of uh, 12th step to where we could all possibly get to, but we can't get to it. But in America, they say to their, you know, you get taught at school, you know, if you work hard and you and you're clever and you're athletic, you can you can be the best and all that. But we don't have that over here. Mm. We have a family sat on a throne going, you can never be us. Yes. But it's also money based, isn't it? Because actually, yeah, if you can afford to send your children to the right schools, we know that those schools will get them to the top. So, for example, almost every prime minister we've had, apart from Harold Wilson, went to Eton. Went to Eton. It's yeah. absurd. That's so it's, weird. It's, 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 so it's ridiculous. Weird. Why? And we're still doing it, despite the fact that they've shown again and again that they're only there because they had the money to go to that school, not because they're bright. Being educated and being bright are two very different things, I think. And we yeah. constantly mistake education for intelligence. I absolutely agree. Like, I would say that I'm a pretty clever girl. I can work stuff out. I'm very strategic. But sometimes when I speak, I get my words around the wrong way. Like that sentence, for example. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I get words around the wrong way. And there's something in this country where middle class people hate that. And they judge you for it. And there's a sort of, ugh. Um, feeling about working class people. And I've been trying to think about what it is. What are middle class people scared of about working class people? And I think I've got, I've come, I came to an idea that I think middle class people are scared of working class people because when you meet a person who has got to where they've got to, having had to work really hard for it, Mm -hmm. they can really hold that position quite effectively. Yes. But someone who's just handed something because of privilege 
it's it's hard to hold on to something when you've just been given it. It's yeah. really hard to to uh, to justify why you've got it. And I I've always said with my career, I don't want it unless I've earned it. I don't want it quickly. If I wanted it quickly, Mike, I'd have gone on Britain's Got Talent. I would have sang opera. Mm. I would have talked about. I would have talked. I would have spoken about my dead sister. I would have. To, I would have spoken about how I didn't find out that I was creative until I was twenty five years old after she died, and I would have probably won the show. Yeah. And I would have talked about that I worked at ASDA. But I decided <laughs> I decided that that was all way too easy for me because when I get to what I want to do, uh, or I'm doing at the moment, actually, I want to know that I've earned it. No one can take it away from me. And that and that this is a real thing because it, I, 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 I just... I, my dad was an apprentice at Rolls-Royce and then went on... Uh, over 35 years to get to a point where he retires and the business he worked for, which was Airbus, they make the wing of the, um, of the Airbus Mm -hmm. um, in Bristol. My dad's job, he was so good at it and they couldn't find anyone to replace him that they Hmm. offered him to come back for four times his salary. (laughs) And it's that sort of work ethic that I've grown up with. And, uh, and also it's just, I, it's exciting. It's exciting to, to achieve things, isn't it? Like, well, when you, also when I you... think sometimes when you, like you say, there are easier routes, but then they're never going to be as long lasting. Those things are fleeting. None of them are still working. No. Because what is that show? Four middle-class people laughing at poor people. That's basically <laughs> what Britain's Got Talent is. Yeah. They're all just working-class girls that, you know, were told at the pub that they could sing. My sister was told she could sing because she went to the local karaoke. And, yeah, she can hold a tune. Yeah. But if she had gone on that show, she wouldn't have done very well and they would have laughed at her. It's just time to stop laughing at poor people. Or in fact, blaming them for being poor. Yeah. You get people from... Eaton, who were educated at Eaton, brought up in enormous privilege, who've been put in a position of running the country, who in a way sort of blame them. You know, oh, you naughty people of Newcastle, letting the side down. Why can't you be more like the people of Surrey? And you think it's just, it's so clear what they're saying. And I think it's it's appalling. I can't understand why we give these people the, the time of day. I, I just... I think what I would like to achieve... I, I, I talked about it in my last show my Amazon Prime special. Um, but I just, a bit compassion is what I think people really need at the moment. It's just yeah, a bit of... Yeah, compassion and understanding. I think you're right. Yeah. yeah. Or they need to all do a bit of free-form disco dancing. That's what I say. Telling you what, freestyle disco dance. If there's a mum out there who is struggling with their child, stick them in freestyle disco dancing and follow Stacey Solomon's Instagram account. Because I'm <laughs> telling you what, that girl... <laughs> I just think she's a national treasure and I hope that she's being protected like a castle somewhere. I'm all about Stacey Solomon. I think she's <laughs> done a lot for mums during this pandemic and I think she should be an awarded some sort of medal. Um, and uh, Joe Swash, I've got my eye on you. <laughs> <laughs> Don't oh, you dare. Oh, that's a threat. He's lovely. No, he's, he's terrific. Okay, Jade, so we put that into the time capsule, the disco dancing as a child. That's marvellous. So what's what's the second item you want to put in? Um, another item I'd like to put in my time capsule was something from my, I'd say the best year I've ever been alive was my 31st year. Mm-hmm. Obviously, my sister died in 2011, which I've mentioned, mm. and she died of a brain tumour. 
And then I had a period of time where I went through a lot of grief and I felt like I didn't control my own story about her because everyone sort of missed a part of her. And I think everyone forgot that I was her sister and that I slept in a bed with her. I spent more time with my sister than anyone on in, in the world Mm -hmm. because we were together constantly until we were like eight, I was 18 and I, and she went off to uni Mm. and we had the same friends. We were in a bunk bed together and I'd never really been able to tell the story about my relationship with her. And I went up to Edinburgh Fringe. I had no agenda. I just wanted to write a show. I didn't even realize I was writing a show about her. Mm. And I went up to Edinburgh and I did my show about my relationship with her. And it wasn't, it was funny. It was very sibling-like There were lots of sort of very relatable conversations I had about (laughs) having a sister. Yeah. And obviously I told people that she had died and I I, I tried to make people laugh on every sentence I said, even the sort of painful ones. Mm. And I'd had an argument with my mum and dad shortly after that experience. I'd done the whole of Edinburgh Fringe with the show, got nominated for Best Newcomer. Brilliant. And then I came home uh, back to London and I... I can't remember what the argument was about. Another one of those traumatic experiences that have have been removed from my head. But my (laughs) mum and dad and I didn't speak for about a month. And that's quite a lot for me because I talk to them all the time. I think they're the best people in the world. Mm. And we didn't speak. And I was putting a show on. I was putting this show on at the Soho Theatre. It was the first time I'd ever been given a West End stage. I did the show. I did it for, uh, the Soho Theatre gave me like three weeks, which was unheard of. That's a long run at Soho. They put me three three weeks in at the Soho Theatre and I still wasn't talking to my mum and dad. And on the penultimate night, I randomly gave my boyfriend my mobile phone and said, keep a hold of that. I'm going to just relax here. It's my penultimate show. And I don't know if you uh, have this same feeling, but the penultimate show of any run is always the best one. The last Mm. show is always disappointing. But the day before I'd had, (laughs) I was like, this is going to be the one. So I gave him my phone to just relax. I did the show. My parents hadn't seen it at this point. And I kept thinking to myself, if they come to see it, I'm going to have to do some sort of subtle edits of it because I was quite brutal in it with some stories. Mm. But they weren't coming. So it was fine do the show. It's very emotional. I sing opera at the end. And then I look out into the audience and my parents are in it and they walk up towards me on stage and I burst into tears and it was just super emotional. And then downstairs, my mum said two things. She said, number one, I don't like you saying the C word, so stop saying it. I said it once (laughs) on the show. I've never said it again. She said, number two, I didn't recognize Jenna in your stories, but I I know that's now because I'm her mother and you're her sister and your experience mm. of her is very different. And it was the first time that my mum and my dad and I, we'd all had a really adult conversation with each other. I was no longer their little baby because I was the youngest. Mm-hmm. And it was this show and that year is the first, oh, I'm getting emotional. And I, it was the f- it was the first time that I uh, just like, you know, she she was sick for a long time and she was also very popular when we were growing up. And it was the first time that I just felt just a, a sense of independence. And mm. and it was that show. So I'm going to put one of my flyers in the time capsule. Lovely. From Jade 31. Excuse mm. me. I didn't realise I was right. going to cry. <laughs> well... It's a very emotional thing to be talking about, Jade. 
Mm. I mean, your sister's death and then your parents accepting you as an adult at 31. It's a, it's an amazing moment that when you suddenly realise that actually your parents value your opinion the same as they value their friends and contemporaries. And they actually regard you as having an opinion worth listening to. For many people, that doesn't happen. A lot no. of people remain their little child. And actually, whatever you say, there's always a sort of a pat on the head in response to it. So to get that, okay, I don't recognise what you're saying, but clearly it's as valid as my opinion. That's a fabulous thing. I, I, <clears throat> I, um, I will always cherish that moment. And, and you've just put it so beautifully. But that, yeah, that was the, the day that I, I was accepted by my parents. And mm. I, d- I didn't know if that would ever happen. No. And clearly that, that month of not talking to them, that made them think. So sometimes you're right. It's right at the start of this, you started saying that um, painful things uh, that you learn from them. And clearly that's a painful thing that, that both of you learn. Yeah, from. I, I re- all of us, we just, and now we've got like, I'm now in a relationship with them where they're like helping me. They're not financially, they've offered, but they're they're helping me sort of buy my own house and yeah. and they're doing all these things with me and and the re- level of responsibility that I got given after that I I, I mean at the age of 31 mm. I hadn't been given any from them because I was always the baby and Jen had got it or my brother Kane had gotten all the responsibility and I was just sort of I was fine I was always fine you know they always <laughs> knew that I'd be fine um yeah Mum didn't know that with my sister. Apparently when she was holding, uh, she said when she held her when she was little, my mum remembers holding her and think, and and having this stark realisation that Jenna was precious and that she wasn't going to last forever when oh, she Lord. was a baby. She also had a lady from the travelling community knock on her door in 1983 mm. to get money out of my mum and give her a fortune. And she uh, gave given my mum some lucky Heather. And then she told my mum that my mum was going to have, so Jenna was like maybe one and a half and she, you know, she sort of toddles around and mum picks her up and she says, you're going to have another baby. And mum was like, no, 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 I've had the snip or whatever the lady <laughs> equivalent is. Yeah. <laughs> she's like, no, 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 I'm not having any more children. She said, you're going to have another child and she's going to be blonde and everyone's going to know her name. Wow. And um, she also said to my mum that she was going to, she apparently the woman looked at my sister, looked back at my mum, stopped herself saying something and then said, you're going to suffer a great tragedy in your life as well. And there were some other things, but she just had this random lady knock on her door in 1983. And it doesn't happen like this hasn't happened. It hadn't happened before or after. <laughs> but yeah, my birth was prophesized uh, ah. via, via this woman. I yeah. very much feel I'm not a spiritual person, but I think I kind I kind of am. But I've been told by lots of spiritually inclined friends, and I've gone on the, I've I've gone for like fortune telling things before, and I've had my tarot read, mm. and I'm always told, and I've been told by a few people that I have my sister's with me all the time, that she sits on my right shoulder, and then on my sister's birthday this year on the fifth of November, Mum and I were talking about this, and I said, "Oh, Jenna's with me." And she went. She was like, "Well, she's not with me. I never feel her here." And I said, "That's because wow. she's constantly with me." And when we were kids, she used to protect me a lot. And my mum always used to say that I had two mums, which was my sister and my mum. <laughs> so it's sort of it's nice to think that you know, if there is something else out there, she's with me and not with yeah. anyone else. 
I mean, I think people are with you, whether you see them as being a, a spirit on your shoulder or being a spirit inside you. You know, they absolutely stay with exactly. you. Exactly. So, but we will definitely put that flyer into the time capsule because that's a, it's a precious thing and that's a precious moment. Thank you for telling me about it. My pleasure. Really touched. Mm. Lovely. Okay, so that's two items. <laughs> What's next? How many more do I get? You get another three. You get okay. five in all, and I'm going to let you have them all positive because it's you know it seems that all your positive things have a slightly negative side to them as well, which is interesting. They start negative and become positive. So I think you're fulfilling the remit of the program. There we are. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Right, let's get back to the fabulous Jade Adams and find out what else she'd like to put in her time capsule. Well, my um, boyfriend often tells me that I have these Hollywood moments happen in my life all the time. <laughs> like, I'll love something forever and then I get to meet that person that I've loved forever. So this brings me on very nicely to my third item, mm. um, which is going to be... And, like, I know... You're not going to know what I'm talking about, Mike. <laughs> Maybe your listeners aren't going to know either. Okay. This TV program shaped my entire personality. I watched it when I was younger. I didn't have many friends when I was growing up because I was always different. And, and in order to be popular at school, you have to fit in. I've never fit mm-hmm. into clothes, let alone personality types. <laughs> so I spent a lot of time alone. I had a few friends, but not many. So I, uh, I, I used to watch a TV program every Thursday between eight o'clock and ten o'clock, uh, and I and it's um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, ho, ho. So I'm going to put into my time capsule my Buffy the Vampire Slayer 16 inch figurines that I have here. Um, this is Spike. Oh, For the yeah. listeners at home, I am currently showing Mike a 16 inch Buffy figurine. Um, yeah, I'll be honest, Mike, um, I would normally get ridiculed for, thank you so much for holding back. No, I've got something to tell you. Oh, have you? Yeah. What are you going to tell me? I'm oh, let me tell, tell you, you first. You tell me everything and then I'll, I'll give you a little present at the end of it. So all. one of my ho- Hollywood moments in my life 
was I put on a show uh, with a couple of other people called A Musical, where we would get comedians to come to a show and sing their favourite song from a musical with a live band. It was a really successful show. And our last one we did, uh, just before lockdown, was at the Clapham Grand. And we did Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the musical episode, but we had yeah. people like Nish Kumar, Ed Gamble, Rose Matafeo <laughs> in it, playing the characters. Rose played a, an excellent Buffy the Vampire Slayer. On the second night, so we did two nights, the second night, Joss Whedon showed up. Oh. And it was just the most insane thing Absolutely. He made everything about Buffy, didn't he? Well, it's his show. Yeah, it's It's his show. His show, his idea. uh, He, funnily enough, little unknown fact about Buffy, the Mm. first movie that he released, which wasn't that successful, but then a TV channel said, let's turn it into a series. The movie that he made of Buffy um, was actually financed by Dolly Parton. (laughs) But it's very unknown. She didn't advertise it at the time, but her her production company financed the the uh, initial stages of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. So, well, I heard just the other day that Dolly Parton has invested an enormous amount of money in into the production of a vaccine for this COVID. Yeah. She's a very wealthy but quite extraordinary woman. She's amazing. Anyway, carry on, carry on. But yeah, Joss Whedon I met and I had friends from school get in touch with me. I had a friend called Lee message me and he said, how is it that you've been obsessed with Buffy since you were 12 years old and then you're stood on a stage whilst Joss Whedon gives a speech? And I was able, (laughs) in front of a room full of screaming fans, when he walked out, I was able to say to him, thank you for writing a strong woman so all of us 30-year-olds now who watched it felt like we could be strong too. Mm-hmm. And I've always wanted to say it to him, and I got to say it to him. And now he follows uh, me on fantastic. Twitter. Overjoyed. Oh, brilliant. Well, okay, my treat is that uh, I'm going to definitely do it now, but I was planning to put your Christmas episode of my time capsule, which uh, I should imagine by the time this goes out actually will have gone out. But if people listen to your Christmas little morsel, that we did around Christmas, it'll be out on the same show as Anthony Head. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so sorry. (laughs) Oh, my God, I'm getting closer. (laughs) I spoke to him just yesterday about what he'd put into a Christmas time capsule. How is uh, he? He's gorgeous. How is he? Tell me everything about him, Mike. Please tell me. Is he great? He's absolutely one of the nicest men you could ever meet, without a doubt. He's one of my guests on uh, on my time capsule. So if you go back, he does talk in great detail about the making of Buffy. uh, (gasps) I cannot wait to listen. Have a listen to that, yeah. So there you are. That's my little gift, is that I'm going to put you onto the same one with him. What a great Christmas gift. Thank you, Mike. I could cry again, but I'm not going to. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I so wish he were here. Actually, I'm tempted to ring him up. <laughs> <gasps> Don't do that, Mike. Please, you can't do it. I need to be ready. I need to not be dressed like this. I know it's radio. <laughs> oh, dear. Well, all right, another time privately we'll FaceTime him. And oh. you can have it. But what a shame. Do you know, I think without a doubt, if he'd been in London when you did that Buffy show and he'd known about it and you'd ask him, he would have come. You should do it again. Well, 
Yes, we should. I mean, that's uh, that's a definite reason why why we should put that on again <laughs> for sure. I yeah. mean, he's a great singer. He gets to great sing, singer. doesn't he? Yeah. Are you ready for the world outside? I know every word. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. I can't wait to tell him, actually. I'm so excited myself. Please tell him I'm but, not uh, weird. There's nothing weird about falling in love with something, particularly, you know, when you're young. I think it's a lovely thing to hang I on to. I watch it every year. I yeah. watch it every year, every season, every year. That's amazing. I've got loads of memorabilia here. I've got tons. Like, my house is covered in Buffy stuff. I try and keep it classy. Like, oh, I'll just move my camera. Look yeah. what's up there. That's Buffy the Vampire Slayer chess set. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Now I'm thinking you're a bit mad. Oh, no, Mike. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> okay, well, that's that's in there. That's safe inside there. Lovely. All right, so number four. Number four is uh, vinyl. I'm going to be putting into the time capsule vinyl because I think vinyl is going to last forever. CDs are gone, Betamax, DVDs are gone now, but I think vinyl is just such a lovely thing to have. We've got tons here. My boyfriend collects it. But Mm. the specific vinyl that I'm going to put in is my Phantom of the Opera full cast recording Michael Crawford and Sarah Brightman, Phantom of the Opera Vinyl. That's what's going to go in the time capsule because I would like people to remember uh, a time where vinyl existed, but also the fact that Phantom of the Opera used to dominate the West End and has really sadly, uh, you know, been cancelled because of COVID. Mm. Phantom of the Opera is my favourite musical. I've I watched it seven times at the Bristol Hippodrome, and I think I've made that number up, but it was a lot of times. Yeah. And I, I I was obsessed. There was a guy called Scott Davies that played Phantom. I remember feeling like I was never going to not be in love with him. And then I found out that he was dating the he was married to the woman who played Meg, which I was livid about. So I never liked Meg. But I went to see it loads at the Bristol Hippodrome, and then I've been to see it I think five times in the West End. I've watched the DVD a few times, although I'm not massively into Gerald Butler's portrayal of Phantom. It was a bit too rock God for me. He needs to be like a sort of unattractive sort of Gothic guy that you need that pain. And and also the, the, the deformity he had always looked weird on the film, but (laughs) Phantom of the Opera, um, massive fan reason. I sing always wanted to play Coletta have asked Nicka Burns who runs the West end. If I can play Coletta, she has said I can. Really? Yeah. Well, when I'm older. My information about Phantom of the Opera is, although it's been cancelled, that it will come back. Yeah, of course it will. I think it's very important that whilst, because comedy was, has kind of been able to carry on because we can do stuff on Zoom. And I often think about all the musical theatre performers that are currently just sat at home wondering what the hell they're going to do with their life. And I think about that because you just think about how many people work on shows like phantom like all the chorus and all it's huge it's massive and all of those people are just sat at home i know lots of people who started working on things like phantom sort of worked as crew to get equity cards and things like that so it's it's been a it's it's fed the whole industry for years and years and years those sort of things that and lame is i was in a show with rosemary ash who was the original Who's the opera singer? That's the part you want to play, isn't it? Coletta. Yeah, she was the original. Wouldn't you rather have your precious little Angela? (laughs) I did Forbidden Broadway with her at the Fortune Theatre in the West End. 
Great fun. All right, fantastic. We will put, well, all vinyl, but uh, specifically the Phantom of the Opera original West End London cast. I've got the, I've got it here. I'll put it, I've got my own. I'll put that in. All right. We'll keep that one safe then. Jade, we've got one final thing. So what have I got in? I've got uh, my disco dancing costume. Yeah. I've put a Jade 31 flyer in. Mm-hmm. Phantom of the Opera on vinyl. Yeah. Buffy figurines. So that's those four. We've got one more. One more. Okay. Mm. I'm going to put in one of my cat suits uh, that <laughs> I wear at the size that I am because it's political. Because women of my size are not encouraged to wear tight clothing because apparently there's nothing worse than being fat. Or actually, <laughs> I'd say the worst type of human being to some people is a working class fat woman. So as a real, you know, F you to anyone who has issues with that, my size 22 <laughs> Lycra catsuit that I wore on stage, in yeah. fact... Not any old catsuit, because I have a lot, because my mum makes them all for me. <laughs> my nude catsuit that I wore to win Funny Women 2014, uh, where I sang Ness and Dorma after telling <laughs> a story about dealing with some thugs on a megabus. I wore that catsuit. And the reason I wore it is I told the audience it was because I had new shoes and I wanted to show them off. Um, but I was doing so the Kardashians now have brought all of this nude wear into like the stratosphere now and everyone's buying it I was doing it back in 2014 and everyone thought I was weird sue them sue them but my mum made this outfit to go underneath us you know Kylie Minogue's I can't get you out of my head yeah and she's wearing that white thing and it was like a big hood it was a big song back in the uh, in the early 2000s late 90s no I remember and Uh, under she was naked under hers but my mum made me one of those white things but she wanted me to not be naked because it was one of her rules when I moved to London that I wasn't allowed to ever get my clothes off she said Mm -hmm. you can be a successful comedian and actress without ever becoming nude and I've always stuck by that as well like I want to really encourage uh women to not have to use their bodies to earn money or uh, I think women are more than their looks and I really want to sort of push that. And this nude suit was there to stop me from being naked underneath a costume. And I just decided <laughs> I'll wear it on top. And it was sort of like a bit of a political thing. Cause I was like, you know, this is, this is the only costume I'm wearing. It was back in 2014 when body positivity wasn't really around. It was, but it wasn't like as prevalent as it has been in the last sort of three or four years. Mm. And I, and I was you know, wearing these cat suits and stuff. But the reason I was wearing cat suits, and there wasn't anyone in stand up doing it at this point either. Everyone was just wearing their normal clothes. And now everyone's sort of doing costumes and stuff. Like it's a big sort of, I wouldn't say that I started it, but maybe I did. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the reason I wore cat suits is because I always have, because obviously I danced from the age of five and I was wearing cat suits for, a, a, you know, a good 13 years of my life and then didn't yeah. really stop. Plus, my mum makes a costume. So the cat suit to me, it's a political thing. It's what I love to wear the most. I find it really comfortable to wear. And and it was the thing that is the start. My career started on in, in October 2014. My career started. It was a real sort of pivotal moment for me to end up talking, to, you know, because of that <laughs> moment, Mike. We wouldn't be sat here right now. No, indeed. And <laughs> You're not wearing the nude cat suit at the moment, but I have no. seen I have seen you in it, and it's fantastic. 
I've got one of my serious Christmas jumpers on that I actually sell to help my friend Polly survive the pandemic. She's got a little business that makes clothes and gifts and stuff. Right. What does it say? It says serious Christmas jumper because of my <laughs> show, Serious Black Jumper. So Very I did a good. load of merch that people have bought, um, but I decided to give the jumpers a Christmas glow up. If you mm. want to know what I'm talking about, go to my Amazon Prime special, Serious Black Jumper. Absolutely. And we will put a link, if you want, on our website Perfect. to this. Um, well, I think that's a fabulous thing to put in. I have to say that that comedy has gone through phases, and they're all weird. For a time, there was a prevalent view that only large women could be funny, which is weird, isn't People it? People are obsessed with women and the way they look. You're right. They're You're obsessed. absolutely right. It's so boring. It is really boring. Like, I find someone's look so droll. I think... <laughs> Anyone that wants me to tell them they're attractive, like I'm just never going to. I just don't, like there's been some, there's been a a, a handful of people in my years that I've been alive where I've met and I've seen them and I've gone, they've taken my breath away. Mm -hmm. It's just a handful of people and they normally end up being models. That's a different thing. Yeah, And it's a really hard job being a model as well because all anyone cares about is the way you look. And that sounds like absolute hell to me. Yeah. I just think it's more important to encourage girls and women to want to be clever and funny. Yeah. To want to be either of those things. And then the look side of it, because I, I, it's also like, I know that the nudity thing on Instagram and these social media platforms with women of all different shapes and sizes is a political movement mm. to try and sort of um, lessen the amount of like unattainable shapes that, are put out there by the media mm-hmm. it's still women naked people yeah. are still in their underwear mm-hmm. women are still nude they're still there's put some <laughs> clothes on <laughs> and because the most important thing a human being can be the most attractive thing a human being can be is confidence Mm. there's nothing more attractive than confidence and I think that's what my cat suit's about it was just me strutting out onto a stage in a tight I mean it's just a natural outfit for me because I've worn them since I was younger but mm. it's about confidence and it was about the someone once told me that you you don't notice I'm wearing it after a really short amount of time because I I just you know I start talking and, and all of that stuff becomes irrelevant yeah I don't know I just want to I, I just hope that I encourage girls to be clever and funny rather than to pout at a camera because like there's so many young children getting nose jobs and lip fillers and chin implants and all of this sort of stuff to try and like adhere to this look that these girls are having online now and I just think it's really gross because what is it big eyes big lips what are those big lips for I'll tell you what those big lips are for that's for a bloke this is Mm. still through the male gaze Mm. because I'm telling you what women don't care about that stuff we really don't care truly we don't care about you know the the women i'm most attracted to in my life they're funny they're creative they're clever Mm. well all the sensible men i know all the happy men i know are the men who paired up with women who are brighter and funnier (laughs) than they are like you jade of course absolutely (laughs) all i can say is thank you so much for being my guest on my time capsule it's been brilliant Thank you so much for having me on, Mike. No, absolutely. This has been more emotional than I thought it was going to be, but absolutely lovely. Well, that's Phantom of the Opera for you. Always gets you. (laughs) Wishing you were somehow here again. 
I am here. Oh, sorry. I just thought you'd gone. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Jade Adams. You can see Jade on Amazon Prime in her show, Serious Black Jumper. I can't recommend it highly enough. And if you'd like to hear more of this podcast, you can subscribe on Acast or wherever you get your podcasts from. And when you do, it would be very useful if you'd rate us and leave a review. Thanks. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram for news of what's coming up every week. This podcast is produced by John Fenton Stevens and the music is by Pass the Peas Music. It's a cast-off production. That's it. You can leave now. Or you can hang around with me and, uh, well, my wife and, well, usually my children and listen right to the very end. But only because they sometimes play an ad there too. Yeah. You still with me? You are my bestest listener. Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.